Please turn to Luke chapter 11 verse 4. For some time now we've been looking at Luke's gospel and we're looking at the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11. It's a kind of a mini-series on its own. It's a prayer that I think we probably all know. And um, today we're looking at verse 4. But let's read all of that prayer again. Luke chapter 11 from verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us this day, or give us day by day, our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone. That is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that's the Lord's Prayer. We have that prayer also in Mark, uh, Matthew, Matthew's Gospel. I'm more familiar with the Lord's Prayer as it's recorded in Matthew's Gospel. This morning we're going to look at verse 4. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And that is the title of my sermon, Forgive us our sins. First of all, those words, forgive us our sins. Those words make it very clear that what we're looking at is not a prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ ever prayed for himself. Trust you realise that. When do you imagine Jesus would ever pray, forgive me my sins? Yeah? Jesus is the sinless son of God. As he said to the Jews who sought to accuse him of transgressing God's laws, which of you convinceth me of sin? None of them were able to do so. None of them were able to convince him of his sin. All they could do was answer him with the words, Say we not that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Not only was that response without any foundation, it was highly blasphemous. And the Apostle Peter also makes it very clear in his first epistle that Jesus did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, no deceit in his mouth. Far from being a sinner, Jesus is undefiled. As such, he is eminently and uniquely qualified to be the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. Time and again, the Old Testament priests, they offered animals, sacrifices for themselves, as well as for the people that they represented before God. They offered animal sacrifices for themselves because they too were sinners. But when the great heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, offered a sacrifice, he did so when he offered himself just 
once. He offered a sacrifice that was completely untainted by sin. And Jesus offered himself a lamb without blemish, without spot. He did so not for his sins, but for the sins of all who would ever trust in him as their saviour. Having lived a life of perfect obedience to God, God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let me read that to you again. God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That doesn't mean to say that God made Jesus a sinner. God doesn't make anyone a sinner. That is unthinkable. But what it does mean is that at the cross, God laid upon Jesus the iniquity of the elect, all whom God chose before the foundation of the world to be saved and to be holy and acceptable in his sight. God laid upon his dear son the iniquity of those people. God charged the Lord Jesus Christ with their sin. And in that sense, dear Christian, he who knew no sin bore your sin in his body at the tree. Christ hath redeemed you from the curse of the law, being made a curse for you. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And Jesus was raised again for your justification, which means that you now stand before God, adorned in the righteousness of your crucified and risen Saviour, who for you became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Having established that the words of Luke Chapter 11 and verse 4 are not something that Jesus would ever have had to pray for himself. They are most certainly meant for all the redeemed of the Lord. All who belong to Jesus. Pray these words in verse 4. Forgive us our sins. First of all, sins can be thought of as a debt. In verse 4 it is written, forgive us our sins, whereas in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 12 it is written, forgive us our debts. And even here in verse 4, Luke chapter 11 and verse 4, Jesus goes on to say, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So sins can be thought of as debts. The point is that sins are forgiven, when your sins are forgiven, your debt is cancelled. However, unlike financial debt, which allows for the possibility of the debtor clearing his debt, this cannot be the case with sin. You, you can clear your financial debt, but you cannot clear the debt of sin. You cannot do that yourself. Even if you just had one sin and you gave an account to God for that one tiny sin, one sin committed in your entire life, that would be one sin too many 
for you to ever be able to pay off in terms of it being a debt to God. Just consider the consequences of that one sin that Adam committed in the Garden of Eden when he hearkened to the voice of his wife and he ate of the tree that God had commanded him not to. What were the consequences of that one act of disobedience from Adam? It included not only death to Adam, but to every child of Adam. And that includes you and me. That one act of disobedience, it was like a tsunami. And it opened up the floodgate of sin and death because of sin to everyone born into this world. Apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be grossly naive of you to imagine that you could pay off your debt to God. Even if you had just committed one tiny little sin against the holy and righteous God. Who has declared the soul that sinneth it shall die. Anyway the reality is that you and I have not just committed one tiny little sin have we. Your life is sin from start to finish. We enter the world not only as cute little babies, but as natural born sinners. As King David acknowledged in his prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. David takes it back to his conception, his sin. Like David, we're all born and even conceived with a sinful nature, with a heart that is deceitful above all things and which is desperately wicked. Who can know it? If ever you doubted the magnitude of your own sin problem and the magnitude of your debt to a holy and righteous God, just consider this. All of God's law can be summarised by two great commandments. The first and great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. I won't embarrass you by asking you to put your hand up if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. As I said earlier, if by the grace of God you're a Christian, then you're not an enemy of God anymore. God has poured out his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit. But who in here could honestly say that he, she, loves the Lord, his God, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind? Who in this whole world could say that? Truthfully, no one is the answer. I'm not putting answers in your mouth and in your, or or in your mind, but that is the reality. Just think of your everyday life. Is it a testimony of you loving God with your whole being? I very much doubt it. 
The second commandment is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbour as thyself. Again, that is something that we may aspire to do with God working in us. But it doesn't happen. Those times when we wake up with like a bear with a sore head and we say something that we straight away regret. Or when we're unreasonable with others. Or when we lie to other people. Whatever. We do not love our neighbour as ourselves. Therefore, that means that we sin. It's as simple as that. Perhaps you can appreciate something of the magnitude of the debt that is owed to God by all who are born into the world apart from the incarnate Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, when you consider those two great commandments, loving God with your whole being, loving your neighbour as yourself. And the good news is that, as has already been considered, the iniquity, the wickedness, the depravity of all who trust in Jesus was laid upon him. At the cross, He paid the debt of your sin in full, dear Christian, when he shed his blood and he sacrificially laid down his life for you. As the hymn writer put it, Gone is all the debt of sin, a great change is wrought within, and to live I now begin, risen from the fall. Yet the debt I did not pay, Someone died for me one day, sweeping all the debt away. Jesus paid it all. How how wonderful that is. Thirdly, Christians are to pray for forgiveness. In 1 John chapter 1 verses 6 and 7, the Apostle John said, If we say that we have fellowship with him, that is with God, And walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his sin, cleanses us from all sin. It's an ongoing cleansing. It's not talking about something that happened in the past. Cleanseth us from all sin. It's present, continuing to do so cleanseth us from all sin. Dear Christian, when you consider those words, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth cleanseth us from all sin, which refers to every sin that you have ever committed and every sin that you will commit during your earthly sojourn. And when you consider that Jesus has paid the debt of all your sins at the cross, past, present, and future sins. You might ask, why is there the need to pray for forgiveness if all my sins, past, present and future, have been forgiven? Why do I need to ask for forgiveness? doesn't make sense. Well, let me just quote John Calvin, who did not pull his punches. Calvin said, 
if you imagine yourself to be free from every spot and blemish, not only renounce your sins, but renounce Christ himself, from whose church you banish yourself. For when he commands all his disciples, all Christians, to betake themselves to him daily for the forgiveness of sins, everyone who thinks that he has no need of such a remedy is struck out of the number of the disciples. If you are someone who thinks that you love God with your whole being and you really do love your neighbour as yourself continually, all the time, Tomorrow, the day after, the day after that, until the day you die, then Calvin is saying that you are to renounce Christ himself, that you do renounce Christ himself. When you think about it, it is only the children of God who pray to the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, their God and Father, for the forgiveness of sins. They do so when they first trust in Jesus as their saviour. I trust you did that, dear Christian. And then they continue to do so throughout their born-again lives. They do so with deep regret, with broken and contrite hearts, but also they do so with thanksgiving in their heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. We've already considered this this morning in the Heidelberg Catechism. That deep regret, that contrition for sin against the God of your salvation. But also that joy in your heart because you have Jesus. That you belong to him. The one who bare your sins in his body at the tree. Let's face it. Who other than the children of God, are going to pray, our Father which art in heaven, forgive us our sins. Because that's what we have in that prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, then we can skip a couple of verses and come to verse 4, forgive us our sins. Who other than the Christian can pray that? And the answer is obvious, nobody other than the Christian. By the grace of God, all of you who are clothed in garments of salvation and are covered in a robe of righteousness have boldness, a holy boldness to enter into the holiest, into heaven itself, by the blood of Jesus. But that does not alter the fact that day by day you pick up the filth of sin on your earthly pilgrimage. And so it is that your Lord bids you to pray Forgive us our sins. And it's not a mechanical thing either. When you, as a child of God, with Jesus as your saviour from sin, when you pray to your heavenly father for forgiveness, you do so with a hatred, an abhorrence for the sin that you have committed against him. And you do so with a genuine repentance. If you have any doubt about that, just read Psalm 51, a psalm of David. 
the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Thou wilt not despise, said David, who was a man after God's own heart. Fourthly, forgiving others. Look at verse 4 again. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. No one has any business coming before the throne of God's grace, asking for forgiveness if he will not forgive those who have sinned against him. It would not add up if you profess to be a Christian and you claim to have received forgiveness for all your sins. We're all different, but it makes me cringe when I think of some of the things that I've done. When you have been forgiven for all your sin and you refuse to forgive others, doesn't add up. And instead of forgiving them, you take them by the throat or at the very least, you harbour an unforgiving spirit towards them. You bear a grudge against them forevermore because they sinned against you. Can you see how that doesn't make sense if you are the child of God? It would be rank hypocrisy to do such a thing. Jesus spoke about such people in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to turn to it. Um, We don't really need to keep our finger in Luke chapter 11. But if you'd like to turn to Matthew chapter 18... I'm going to read Matthew 18 from verse 21. Then came Peter to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy seventy times seven. In other words, you keep on doing it. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. We can assume that was a lot of money. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him. Saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. That's considerably less than he'd been forgiven. He'd been forgiven a lot of money, and now he is owed a pittance. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. 
and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredst me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to be to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. I, that's easy enough to understand, isn't it? You can that makes it so clear, isn't it? That the hypocrisy and the how unacceptable it is to be forgiven much, as a Christian is forgiven all his debts by God. And then to have an unforgiving spirit towards brothers in Christ that sin against you. And, and, and plead. And again, how many times must I forgive? How long is a piece of string? Jesus also gave instructions on what you, as a Christian I'm talking to now, what you are to do when a brother in Christ sins against you. So what are you supposed to do? Clearly you're supposed to forgive them. But look at, again at chapter 18, Matthew, verses 15 to 17. So we've established that you are to forgive and not grab them by the throat. Or, 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 or continue to have an unforgiving spirit. You who have been forgiven much at the cross. Look at Matthew 18, um, verse 15 through to 17. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him, so you do it privately if it's a sin against you. If it's a sin against the whole church, that's a different matter altogether. But if someone sins against you personally, you see them privately. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. That's a good thing. Verse 16. But... If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So again, so if he will not accept his fault, if he be, if he continues with an unrepentant spirit, you go away, you get a couple of witnesses, one or two witnesses, you come back to the, the one who was trespassed against you, sinned against you, and you repeat the allegation with the witnesses there. And verse 17, And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. 
So you're taking it up to the, the church level now. From it being a private matter, having a couple of witnesses, now it's a church matter if that person continues to stubbornly refuse to acknowledge his or her sin. Tell it unto the church, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Then it's a time for excommunication, disfellowshipping that person for the for the sake, for the well-being of the person who's been offended and, of course, the church as a whole. So, when you look at that, the procedure for forgiving, we are to forgive those who sin against us, most certainly, if we belong to Christ, it goes without saying that we're to forgive, but it's not straightforward, is it? The idea is not to turn a blind eye to sin, nor is it to seek revenge, but rather it is to forgive one another in such a manner as to endeavour to correct the faults of the one who has sinned against you. There's none of this, someone sins against you, so you wrap your arms around them as if it's nothing. It is something. If someone sins against you, they're ultimately sinning against God as well. And we should not wink at sin. We should not turn a blind eye to sin. But what we do should be done in love in order to bring about a sense of guilt, sorrow, repentance for what the person has done against you and against God. That's love. It's not love to grab that person around the throat and it's not love to carry on as if it's nothing. It is something. Sin is something. I trust you can understand that a person who claims or professes to have shown repentance towards God, believing that Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross and lifted up to die, bearing away all his sins so that he will never be condemned, never face condemnation. A person who has everlasting life and shall never perish. Someone who is safe in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ and safe in the hand of his Father now and forevermore. In other words, a born-again Christian is someone who seeks forgiveness when he does the things that he ought not do or when he doesn't do the things that he ought to do for the glory of God, his Saviour. Also, he is someone who loves and forgives fellow Christians who have sinned against him and have been brought to a conviction concerning their sin. And you do, don't you? I trust you do. When when someone sins against you and there's that, I'm sorry I did that, me and my big mouth, or, I, I, you know, and not making excuses, but just expressing regret and sorrow for whatever it is. And you do move on because you're a Christian and you're someone who has been forgiven much. And you also, you're, you're the same as the person who's asking for forgiveness from you. You're in the, you're in the same boat from time to time where you find yourself having to 
to ask for forgiveness to not only to God but to to person who you who's been so kind to you and, and nice to you a fellow Christian and you treat them shamefully because we still abide in the flesh sinful flesh and we still do the things that we ought not do Last of all, when was the last time you prayed for forgiveness of, for your sins? Any one of you in here, when was the last time you actually prayed for forgiveness? Jesus says, pray, forgive me my sins. When did you last do it? Perhaps you never have. Perhaps you vainly imagine that you do not need to be forgiven. Or, as I heard someone say, Less than a week ago, I don't care. Someone who's dear to me and Pauline, a friend of ours, said I don't care. Is that you? Despite your conscience accusing you of the sins that you commit, you still don't care? And you still don't seek forgiveness from God? Maybe for now you're hiding your sin, but be sure your sin will find you out. You can't hide that sin forever. Even if somehow or other you do manage to hide your sin throughout the time that you live in this world, it is appointed unto man to die once and then comes the judgment. Where everything will be laid bare. Everything that you have ever done. I'll finish with a lovely verse from the book of Proverbs. And it says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. Amen.